All right, what's going on? Thanks for listening to the My Age Podcast, a uh, podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. How's it going? Uh, as the title says, episode 16, uh, and I guess as you would have seen from the title, the famous or infamous Adrian Kelly, depending on kind of how you know him. Uh, but before we get into that, some small housekeeping. Uh, I mentioned the title of a song in reference to a song that Adrian picked, sorry, in reference to a movie and how I heard about it on a Turned Out a Punk episode uh, with Damien Abraham. Um, but the more I thought about it after the episode finished, the, or after the conversation finished, um, I realised that I didn't hear it there and I think I learnt about the tidbit, the nugget of uh, informational gold um, from the High Fives podcast with friends and former guests of the pod, Mike and Nate. Uh, it's nothing too major, but it was just annoying me, so I thought I just wanted to clarify it. Um, so, that's that. Anyhow, if you feel the need, uh, go to wherever you listen to your podcast and chuck a little review. Uh, if you feel Again, if you feel the need, follow My Age Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for My Age Podcast, all one word. Or don't. Look, uh, I get that you're a busy... I understand that you're a busy person. And you've got busy person things to do. I completely get that. Uh, it, you know, you don't have to. If you don't have to do it, you know what? Look, if you don't want to do it, that's cool. You don't have to. That's cool. I'm cool with that. Are you cool with that? Cool. Then everything's cool. Everything's like three little Fonzies. It's all cool. Anyhow, I'm babbling. Uh, today's episode: Adrian Kelly. It's long. Uh, but, you know, you can handle it. And, look, uh, I'll see you on the other side. Cool. Alright, episode 16. Adrian Kelly. Um, a gentleman who definitely doesn't really need an introduction because you've probably heard of him before if you listen to this and you're from Australia. But, um, Adrian Kelly, what's up? <laughs> That's a pretty powerful introduction. Um, oh, look, I'll, you're a powerful I'll, man. Oh, okay, sure. I'll take it. I'll take it all. Yeah, run with um, it. Yeah, uh, what's going on? Uh, not not a whole lot, just uh, working and that's it, Adrian. We're talking about the um, the great show that is Friday Night Lights and how you really should watch it and how I'm fucking all over it. I mean... Lila Garrity is a key part of why I hung in there so long, but also yeah. she's pretty annoying and apparently she's a Christian missionary now or something, so I have no interest yes. in it. Lila's the worst character in the show, I reckon, because she's bratty. Like, she's bratty but not in, like, a good way. You mm, Actually, yeah. you'd like it. Eventually, um, <laughs> oh, what's his name? A fucking... Tim Riggins. my tongue. No, not Tim Riggins. The guy who's a nobody, um, but he was oh, fuck. What's his Landry? name? I have to edit this part. Thank you, Landry. Yeah. Has he? Have you? Did you watch a bit where he starts a Christian metal or Christian hardcore band? Oh, I definitely saw that, and I was like, how come no one told me that there is like some yeah. extreme Christian screamo in this, which is one of my preferred genres. Oh, dude. When I think of Adrian <laughs> Kelly, I think of Christian screamo. You, so you probably think I'm joking. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Nowadays, I just don't know. No, it's always it's always been a key component. Yeah, cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's something we'll get to sooner or later. I'm sure that's fucking yeah, great. It, it nearly it nearly popped up. 
anyway. It's awesome. Um, so where did it all start? Where, like, tell us about your parents. Tell us about what they were listening to, what they were into, all that kind of jazz. Um, my dad is an Irishman who was born on a farm in the in Tipperary, a, a dairy farm. So his idea of music. So Tipperary is a real place. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's not just a song. Tipperary uh, is a real place, County Tipperary. Um, they're down in the corner of County Tipperary, County Cork, and County Limerick, which all sound like made-up places. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, his idea of music is like terrible um, uh, Irish folk stuff, and it's just it's not, it's not cool. And it's the kind of thing that, um, you know, like may, maybe your old man was born in Dubbo and he has like a soft spot for Slim Dusty or something like that. It's the kind of thing that you'd expect that the younger generations don't care about. But the Irish are strange and uh, we went to my cousin's wedding um, in Kilkenny last year and they know shit like a bunch of 30-year-olds sitting around in the pub and they just start singing with no no music, no anything, just a cappella, start singing these like hundreds of years old folk songs about walking over the glens of whatever, and it's horrifying. <laughs> so just as an idea, is it like, is would the hit of the um, genre, let's call it, be like Oh Danny Boy or something? Like is that what you're talking about or is it? Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of, that kind of thing, but okay. like, Oh, it's just yeah, it's awful. And you know, they all oh, I can't even do it. It's so it's so shit though. And the few times it started happening, I'm just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, you have phones. <laughs> put Spotify on or something. Like yeah. put put Michael Jackson on or something. Stop fucking singing about the, the black and tans and the fucking I don't know. It's it's terrible. Anyway, so that's me just pissing all over my Irish heritage. Um uh, that that's my dad and he hasn't progressed past yeah. that. Whereas my mum uh, is from the Shire, represent, and just um, is obsessed with all kinds of music and has been, I mean, as long as I've known her, obviously. Uh, yeah, one of her, her good stories is that they released some um, uh, Led Zeppelin live concerts from like Earl's Court or something in London from, you know, the 70s, and they came out. When did they, re- when did they release them? Uh, sorry, I think it was maybe like 15 years ago or something. So I'm like when they first okay. started doing the big Led Zeppelin reissues and she was like, yeah. oh, I was at that second Earl's Court show. I was really stoned and I was just hanging on the barrier. And I'm like, great. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. So you're probably cool. in this actual archival BBC concert footage. Yes. Wait, it was a, it was a video. It wasn't audio. It was actually a video. Yeah, some, a live... some old filmed Zeppelin concerts so that's that's good thanks mum can you point can she point herself out (laughs) we haven't tried that far she uh she claimed it she might be she might be making it up to be honest but it sounds good so i don't want to check actually what if she's lying so what what was she doing in the uk uh she she thought the shire was too small as an 18 year old and so went to live in london for a few years and um, in her words, drive around Europe in a combi and smoke weed with a bunch of surfers from Cronulla. So sounds pretty good. That's pretty um, like not to pass dispersions on how old your mum is, but that's a pretty forward-thinking, like the progressive um kind of mindset. 
I, because like yeah. young kids nowadays won't leave the Shire. Like yeah, that's know, and that's true. Well, I mean, as it as it happens, um, of the the eight brothers and sisters, she's the only one who <laughs> escaped the Shire. They all still live in like Caringbar, Gomere, yeah. Grays Point, yeah. Yowie Bay. <laughs> and they she just escaped. don't leave. Yeah, that's it. So for anyone that doesn't get what the fuck we're talking about, the Shire it, as the Shire is a part of Sydney, which is basically southern Sydney, um, beachy, you know, beaches and shit. Um, it's well, its big claim to fame was fuck <laughs> the Cronulla riots. <laughs> yeah, Cronulla riots in like two thousand and five. Yeah, and like was it Christmas Day or no, it would have been Boxing Day. Uh, yeah, the Boxing Day, Australia Day, maybe I don't know. Some, some, yeah, shit. One, some, some public holiday during the summer, and there's just fucking horrific footage of people being horrific people, white people, but that being was horrific, white people being fucking horrific. And that's, I mean, I'm sure it's done a whole lot of other things. Like, there was, didn't they have a reality show like The Shire? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I think there was a reality show about The Shire, which was, you know, scripted reality, whatever. Anyhow, it's, it's as white bread as you get. Yeah. And it's, and no, I'd like, I've got a family. My mum lives there nowadays um, with her husband, and my sister lives there nowadays with her family. So, they're getting sucked people in. That, yeah, but people that are born there just don't leave, which, you know, have fun with those house prices sooner or later. But, um, yeah. There are Anyhow, roads to get but, out, but, you know, well, <laughs> they don't no, like getting but, on them. <laughs> but, like, the, well, the weird thing is that there's, is to to get in. There's generally two bridges. Like you have to cross a bridge. Oh yeah, which is you know, which is symbolic of sorts. Anyhow, who gives a fuck about the Shire? Not us. Let's talk about the the yeah, the Kellys. What else? So your mum your mum bailed, went to the UK, watched Led Zeppelin, and got stoned with a bunch of other Cronulla dudes. Yeah, that was that was her her time. Um, and then I guess she just came back and started working and. Met my dad and da 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 da. Here I am. Did, did she meet your dad over there? Uh no, here in here in Sydney. Oh, cool. So what what prompted your dad to come over then? Uh he is one of nine, I think. So the Fuck. oldest brother took over running the dairy farm, and then the next three boys, of which he's the youngest, were like. I think they went in pretty quick succession to London as like 17, 18, 19, or whatever they were, then New York, then yep. um, landed in Sydney. Um, and, yeah, like I think he, he worked up in Gove in the Northern Territory for a bit um, doing construction, which is strange to think of. But um, they, they all landed on the North Shore in Sydney um, and bought houses for very cheap and ran like a construction kind of business and uh i think three or four of their sisters followed them out so this this irish was, farming district all lived between like four suburbs in the north shore um was the yeah. goal to was the goal to come out to australia like when you said they went to new york and stuff was the goal to eventually get to australia or did they get here and go this is fucking great let's stay here i think that's exactly what happened it seems yeah. a lot of or at least then and i mean sorry uh yeah, I guess from when they went to America and before that, there was a big, uh, you know, like all those stupid American TV shows set in Boston or whatever and all the 
everyone talks with like this pseudo Irish accent and they yeah they always go on about how Irish they are, but like they're not. They're just Americans. It's just been a yeah. flood of um, Irish going there since the potato famine, I think, which is like yeah. the early 1800s. And yeah, they are, I think they saw jobs for construction in Australia. And so they came out and were like, yeah, this is sick. There's no snow. Yeah. And it worked out. I can survive here. Yeah, sick. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not sure where you're going to go with this song, but what do you got for us? <laughs> um, pretty obvious after talking about Led Zeppelin. It's um, Black Dog, the first song on Led oh. Zeppelin 4. It's a powerful It's a powerful song. Yeah, bit of a riff-off. Um, and, you know, it's a... Uh, I think I am 34, so my parents had definitely had loads of vinyl floating about when I was a kid. And I recall um, the cover of Led Zeppelin IV is definitely something that I remember as a small person from um, being put on the stereo or just, you know, being chucked around the lounge room, possibly by me. So Black Dog it is, and that's a pretty hot riff. Let's do it. Cool.
Alrighty. That's a fucking, that's a hell of a jam. Like, you can't get sick of that song. Um, what else could you have picked? Um, like, what was on the list? I was thinking, uh, you know that band Chicago? Yes. That was that was a big one that my mum would play all the time um, and, and suits that, like, kind of age thing. Uh, or that, sorry, the time the time frame. Um, or, like, Doobie Brothers or um, Credence or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The classics. Was, 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 was your dad listening to much music? Like, or did he kind of only listen to it while you guys, guys weren't around because, like, it's Irish folk music? He would listen to Irish folk music when we were on like summer holiday car trip going somewhere. Oh, sick. Cool. Um, and that okay. was only when um, the 12th Man tapes had run out. Dude. Yeah. The first That's one so only, cool. which is like 45 minutes maybe. So we listened to, you know, like on loop. And then he put on, yeah, fucking terrible Irish stuff and mum and screaming him to turn it off. Um, now that I, now I actually realise that my mum maybe might have been an alt and was listening to all kinds of music and he was one of those strange normies that just music's not a thing that they care about. Oh, it, yeah, it may have been in the early years and then they just stopped. Yeah, just and I, don't, we, I don't know how people do it, but, you know, good on them, I guess, maybe. No, I take that back. Fuck them. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Make music important in your life. Make it make it define who you are. Exactly. Exactly. I really, really want to hang on that one pretty fast. <laughs> so did you grow up, you said your parents all bought, or your, or your relatives bought on the northern beaches. Is that where you grew up? Uh, yeah, on the North Shore. So just down from the northern beaches, closer oh, to the city. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Yep. Little little pocket of green on, on, the, on the side of the harbour there. Yeah, sick. How were you getting music when you were younger? Like, um, were you were you a rage kid, or like, were you recovery, or what? what how were you getting music, or, or neither of those? Like, what was the process of getting new music? I guess at first it was literally just um, like it was riding in the car with mum, and she would definitely play. I think the guy's name's Michael Tun, a Triple J presenter. Oh yeah, yeah, Mike. yeah early 90s I don't know yeah um and I very much remember her being real into um the black album when it came out so I was seven or eight I think Um, your mom has serious taste that's as heavy as it got she definitely hates any any, any music that I play but um and she was definitely really into um epic faith no more when that was a giant radio single yeah yeah yeah. I recall that very much so. Um, and then I feel like Wayne's World slots in somewhere around there because once she realised that Queen had been made like a meme in that movie, yep. she yeah. was like, oh, you think Bohemian Rhapsody's cool? Just that riff? Let me play you their greatest hits. Both Everything versions. else. Yeah. yeah. So there was lots of Queen. Um, and then getting a bit older and, you know, going to high school, um, there was lots of kids handing around tapes that would have, you know, Offspring Smash on one side, uh, First Rage record, Corn, um, and that's about it. And so that was like, ah, I get it. And then, yeah, Recovery, Rage, the classics. I'd assume it's the same for everyone who are, is of the same kind of age group. Vintage, yeah. Mm. A whole, whole generation uh raised on pop punk to either say this is disgusting or this is the best thing ever. 
this, yeah. So what? Okay. So what made you? What turned you on to the fact that music was like something? I mean, I guess you, if you listen, if your parents listen to Zeppelin and stuff, then um, you're probably off like off to a good start anyhow. But what, what was the kind of first thing that made you go like, ah, oh, this this music thing's got some depth to it? Um, I have no idea, but something that has I don't know, like, uh, occurred to me, like, much, much later, is um, random, random songs that I would hear as a small person on the radio. And, you know, before I was like, that's hard rock or that's fucking, you know, heavy yeah. metal or whatever. So uh, a band, this band called The Poor had a song on, it was one of those, like, smash hits, fucking yep. whatever things. And I think it was the first record or first, I guess it was a tape I bought. They must have given me a tape player for a Christmas or something. Um, yeah. And this poor song was on it. And the poor sound like fucking Rose Tattoo or something. Like I'm pretty sure they, as I learned later when I Googled them, they went off to um, like tour with Anthrax or something in the early 90s. But that was a song that I, as a small person, was like, this is sick. The song's called More Wine, Waiter Please. And it's Wait just. please, yeah. It's like it's, a, it's a total hard rock banger, you know. <laughs> like it's a biker bar kind of song. It's like um, Airborne, like but twenty years earlier. Well, yeah, over twenty years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just um, that. So it's stuff, stuff like that, or um, uh, you know, like I I thought, it, uh, what's it called? Epic was really good, and I didn't know why because I was very young. But you know, you listen back, and there's Jim Martin smashing out chugging chugging on his e-string and I'm like yep sick just breakdowns in my DNA from very very young were you, were you watching the film clips like on Rage and that kind of thing yeah I think they used to show one or two film clips um, on like I think it, the pro, the program block later because became called ABC for kids but it was like the guy would be on TV at like 4.30 to 5 and because the ABC didn't have ads their shows would finish with like a five minute break before the half hour or the hour so they'd show those little claymations like three or four minute shows or they'd show a film clip or something and yeah so like pingu you mean yeah exactly but i think it was well before pingu time and so yeah they they used to stick a bunch of film clips in that little gap um and that film clip for epic is just yeah color and exploding fish and pianos and it's pretty pretty evocative for a, a like little person's brain black and silver flying v's <laughs> yeah i'd see i don't i don't even remember that part it was more like whoa what's that fish doing wow look at those colorful fucking uh big sloppy joes they're wearing or whatever i think there's yeah. a hand shooting paint that has an eyeball in it it's yeah, yeah there's a lot going on the and um Thanks. like one thing that i guess like i never realized from then, because why the fuck would I realise this? But it was only pointed out to me a few years ago. Um, Mike Patton was actually wearing a Mr. Bungle shirt in that film clip, which I uh, think yes. fucking rad. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Billy Gould, the bass player, is wearing a uh, Sepultura Schizophrenia shirt, maybe, Sick. which is even sicker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, considering that song was fucking everywhere. Yeah, like, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, just a little, just a little bit of pre pre viral viral marketing. 
Yeah. So what are we going to go for then? Um, I was going to say The Poor, but there was another song on that tape that doesn't actually fit in with my breakdowns from an early age <laughs> narrative, yeah. but it's um, Boom Crash Opera Onion Skin. <laughs> oh, dude. Now you're talking about language. Uh, it's such a fucking cracking song. And, uh, yeah, I just was like Googling it before because I was like, what the fuck? I haven't, I haven't even heard that shit in years and just it's so good. Like, what was it about? What was it about? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot in this song, but like, what made it stick out for you? Um, I I really couldn't tell you. I think um, on a literal level, I probably just thought it was really strange that the song was called Onion Skin. Like, what? Yeah. Why? Like, that's yeah. why? Why? <laughs> why is it called that? And what is yeah. what is your what is your band name about? Like, what is what is it? What the fuck's going on? It was yeah. So I guess they bamboozled me and the song was catchy and I was like, I'm in. The song is catchy as fuck, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was on that little cassette tape. Um, I couldn't tell you what else was on it, but the Paul and Boom Crash Opera were definitely on it. Boom. Garage. Oh, garage. Hey, give it in. Oh, 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 
people don't write songs like this anymore. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just simply saying people don't write songs like this anymore. Yeah. Or if they do, it's definitely not, you know, it's not popular, if that makes sense. Like um, it's a really, it's not like a chord progression. It's a weird riff that just keeps like a, you know, a couple of notes. It just keeps kind of repeating. Yeah, with a crazy vocal. Yeah, with a fantastic vocal line. And people just don't. Look again. Fuck. Maybe they do in my head's like somewhere on like on another planet. But yeah, like these kind of like especially like the late eighties. A lot of the late eighties, early nineties, and obviously probably a lot of the eighties stuff. Like um, especially Aussie stuff, like Midnight Oil and um, in excess yeah, like Ice House and all that kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, they they don't generally it's not like here's four chords kind of thing and a great melody. It's like, no, here's this weird riff that we're going to jam on yeah, exactly. and just kind of rock out with it and see what happens. And I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why people aren't doing it anymore. But I mean, there's maybe. a lot of, well, not a lot, but there's like cool, uh, cool, quote unquote, electronic music that has like, that pricks my ear because it's almost like a metal riff. Like there's a preset song called are you the one? And that it could be a converge riff, but the like the main part of the song is, and yet it's a pinger banger. So who knew? Well, I guess. Well, that's where I guess the music maybe is. Maybe that's who's doing it, and it's not in the popular. Um, you know, it's not in front of everybody, but people are still doing those weird little riffy things. But just I not so. in Oz Rock. Yeah, fingers crossed. Who even knows Oz Rock's jangly stuff? Anyway, carry on. Go. So I reckon, yeah, I've got a good. You, you kind of touched on it earlier on, but I'm keen to dig right, dig very deep into this part of the uh, conversation. Oh no! Okay. Yeah. You, you, so from Boom Crash Opera, um, yep. You said you know people pass around the first Rage album and Smash. Um, tell us about that time in your life, with especially with music. Like what? Like where were you going to school? what we listen to, how are you getting it besides obviously tape trading and that kind of thing. But yeah, what, what's happening? Um, I was going to school at St. Aloysius College in Milsons Point. Um, my good friend, Luke Johnston, that most people know as Boo, was at school with me then. Had already been there for a long time and is still harassing me to this day. <laughs> um, and so he... Sorry, I'll, I'll back up a bit. So people were handing those tapes around and I definitely thought Smash was cool and I thought Rage was cool and I thought Corn was cool, but I didn't think Blink-182 was very good um, or, you know, like the, the other kind of pop-punk stuff that was getting passed around. Um, what, what, was it, what was it about Smash that got a pass but, like, hypothetically, Ranch or Cheshire Cat um, didn't? Smash is heavy. Okay. I don't, know, I don't know if people will agree or not, but I reckon that, that shit's heavier. Um, or at least, you know, the two the two massive singles that were around were more, like they weren't double-time skate punk. They were, I don't know, heavier rock songs. Keep them separated yeah. and what's-its-face. <laughs> what's-its-face. Uh, um, come out and play and yeah, self-esteem. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there was, there was that going on. And then um, Triple N had a night show around this time when I was in like, I don't know, high school called The Rubber Room the with rubber John Ratso Kennedy. Kennedy. Yep, yep. Oh, they my. used to play the fucking sickest shit, which 
uh, when so Triple J just not Triple J Double J just replayed the '97 Hottest 100 the other day, the day after um, the 2017 Hottest 100. 2017 yeah, okay. Hottest 100 was on. And I was like, yeah, no, a couple of songs, great, whatever. Listen to the 97 one the next day and it was like I knew 70% of the songs was yeah. fucking freaking out in the lounge room. It was so great. And it, that's, yeah. so that Triple N playlist was like um, Tool, Arnima stuff, um, Grinspoon, the greatest record of all time, Guide to Better Living. Wow. Um, playing uh, like Buy Me a Pony, Spider, uh, Spiderbait. Spiderbait, um, yeah. Like early Jebediah fucking like a band that is terrible, but there's a huge riff live Lakini's juice, like all this shit. Uh, Marilyn Manson, Marilyn Manson, Antichrist superstar. Um, like it just, it just went on and on and it was fucking sick. And so that was on the radio. They were definitely playing um, Pennywise. Uh, it was full circle era, which gets a very big pass cause that's fucking sick. And again, it's heavier. Um, so that was all going on, and then I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Boo. He gave me uh, a burned copy of Fear Factory Demanufacture um, of Sepultura Arise, and someone had given me a tape of Corn Life is Peachy, and I was like, oh, yep, I'm sorted now. <laughs> so straight off the deep end into, um, into metal, and so... I think the first record in that kind of era that I bought myself was um, Corn, the first Corn record. And is the first one untitled, or is the first one sorry self-titled? Yeah, the first yeah first one self-titled, yeah. and so that had already been out for a few years um, by that stage. But you know, like Corn were fucking gigantic. Um, it was before before Got the Life, and they were like a top forty pop band. But I think it was a pretty. I assume like almost every teenager had heard of them by that stage. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was then, you know, like, uh, cue me getting very, very deep into Roadrunner record stuff. Um, Machine Head, Burn My Eyes. Um, uh, I think Fear Factory had then put out Obsolete at that stage, which was even heavier, but also starting to get pretty weird with the rap stuff. Um, and, uh, and Sepultura basically took over my, my life so that was fine so not to like let's talk about the metal stuff in a sec but let's talk about the rubber room for a second yeah do you remember much do you remember much about it like um i don't remember much of him like talking or anything that's what you meant well so i remember listening to it just thinking this guy's fucking like i listened to it every fucking night without fail like for however many hours it was on i'd listen to it because i thought it was fucking fantastic and looking back on it now and maybe it's with rose-colored glasses or whatever. It seems like he was um, – it seems like he kind of – it's almost like he had nude photos of someone, like an executive, and he was like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to release these photos or you can just let me do a radio show for three hours where That's I lock the house. door. Yeah, I lock the door and you leave me the fuck alone because – they had some random shit. Like yeah, they had, they had. Vaughn that... so What a tune! No, but like, yeah, like the music was like it's just like he was like picking whatever he wanted. That was like current or whatever. But on top of that, he'd have like that a guy called the Rat Boy call up, 
and just like from a payphone, a random payphone somewhere in Sydney. Oh yeah. And just squeak wow. like like talk to people walking past and squeak a fake rate to the phone. And it's like you can't do that anymore. Like so and I just that that whole um that whole show looking again, looking back on it just amazes me because it's it's almost like it was the last time when anyone was ever allowed to do that in Australia. And then when he kind of though on recovery though, that was pretty fucking strange. Well as well. Yeah, that yeah, actually Sorry, I should yeah, I should say that was the last time when a commercial station was allowed to do that kind of thing. Yeah, recovery definitely, definitely took the fucking flag and ran with it kind of thing. But um, like yeah, the rubber room was, was fucking incredible. So it was, uh, yeah, formative. They, there was even a festival, um, grounded that was it Pen? No, not that wasn't the right one. It was grudge. Was it grudge? Grudge fest? fest. Yeah, grudge fest. That's fine. See, I didn't even go. And I, and I heard all the promos and was like desperately jealous of, you know, other kids at school who got to go and, you know, like I still remember that shit 20 years later. Yeah, 20 years on, yeah. Because it had like, I remember Bush played it. I'm sure there was a bunch of other bands. But yeah, I remember Bush played Suitcase. Sick. Yes, that album. Yeah, because yeah, it came out when that album was kind of happening. That was a sweet little trip down memory lane, and I apologise for anyone who didn't know what the fuck we're talking about. But you know, it was just uh, the good stuff, right? The the fantastic stuff. Okay, so you you balls deep into metal. Are yeah. you playing guitar at this time? No. Okay, so how did that kind of come about then? Um, I think my obsession just grew to the point where, uh, I think it was my. The 16th birthday, I somehow convinced my parents to uh, buy me a bass for my birthday. Um, and I think Boo was playing drums at the time. So, you know, in theory, we were going to uh, start jamming. Because you're on board with the same kind of music. Was it? Did you have a guitarist in mind or that was just going to fall into place eventually? Um, no, I think there was a – so I left – um, Aloes at the end of year 10 um, and so I got the bass halfway through year 11 when I was at a boarding school and then the dude that we used to hang around with who would pl- have played guitar um, he also left in year 10 and went somewhere else to some one of those one of those high schools where you could wear um, your own clothes and the kids would smoke cigarettes in the playground and everyone who went to a different school where you wore uniforms like whoa he went to one of those schools and we didn't really see him as much anymore. Um, that, so this, I'm still wowed by that kind of the fact that that can, that happens or happened. <laughs> yeah. And you used to be so scared of them as a 13 year old. And then in yeah. hindsight, it's like, that's a 15 year old with a cigarette. <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't matter. You're on the oblivious Maximus podcast. Um, and you mentioned And if it's okay, can you retell the story? Cause I thought it was fucking fantastic. About the night, about, about when you're at uh, the boarding school, what the rules were and the way you used to break those rules, in, specifically <laughs> in regards to playing music. Um, yeah, so there was um, the kids who did music at this boarding school, and I and I didn't do music, but I had an instrument, so I was allowed to practice. And I'm in hindsight, I'm really confused as to how that worked. But anyway. Um, <laughs> There was a like the music, um, I don't know, building or whatever it was, wing something, um, and there were all these little kind of cubicle things in there. So all the kids from the different year groups would go in 
um, for 20 minutes. Uh, every cubicle would get filled up with a kid. With get the cubicle would get filled up. Um, it'd uh, have a have a kid in there with its with a with a clarinet or a fucking acoustic guitar or a drum kit or whatever. And um, so I would go and play bass. And there was a kid at boarding school who knew Sepultura and he could kind of play Territory which is the very, very sick song on Chaos AD with a huge drum intro. And I would get my tiny little, you know, 10-watt um, practice bass and I'd just go in his cubicle and hide behind the door and we'd try and jam um, territory. And then when the teacher would do the rounds and look through the, the door to make sure that everyone was doing what they were supposed to do. I would hide behind the door, um, but behind the little pane of glass. So the teacher would just see, you know, this guy, Andrew playing drums and they'd be like, oh yeah, everything's fine in there. Who's in this next cubicle? No one. All right. That kid mustn't have come tonight. And yeah, that, that was it. That was the dream. So would you have been allowed to go into the other cubicle and just jam? Absolutely not. Right. Okay. This was a school that didn't, um, I had come from a school that, uh, while very academically focused, had a very, um, I guess, a sophisticated music program. So there was like the school choir, which Luke Johnston was in, which he'll deny, but he's <laughs> definitely in it. And I have the photos. Um, so he was in the choir and there, were, there was, you know, sopranos and tenors and whatever. And the, whoever was in charge of the choir would have the kids singing the different harmonies all together and it would be this beautiful choir for um, mass at school. And then this other school, the boarding school I went to was just a footy school. And so their idea of music was just getting everyone to yell louder. So having having the children um, play music together was not high on their list of things that they wanted us to do when you could be playing football. Yeah, okay. And the other, the other <laughs> thing I thought that was fantastic was um, I, I, I highly recommend – that if you listen to this episode, you should go to the Oblivious Maximus podcast and listen to everything that's on there, but start with Adrian's episode because it's great. Um, what the teacher – it's almost like like a guidance counselor of sorts when the teacher saw something in you that he'd seen in another famous alumni of the school. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. So I paid way final too much year, attention. Final year of school. That, that's, that's cool. Someone did. Um, uh, yeah, you're in your own little small room in year 12. Um, to study for the HSC, et cetera, et cetera. And the lights went out at 10 o'clock, I think it was. And um, the teachers would walk around or like the night warden or whatever the fuck they're called to make sure everyone was in their room, lights off, et cetera. And I guess this guy could hear me playing a bass not plugged in, definitely playing bomb track or something. Um, and he opened my door and like this very old brother and said, yeah, but, Last kid I caught playing music after lights out was from that band, the Cockroaches, who turned into the Wiggle. That's so good. Like, you know, we spoke about this. But we spoke earlier before we started recording about kids and whatnot, and how like I've got a son. And when you told that story, I was just like, like all I listen to. Well, one of the things I listen to a lot now is the Wiggles, and I was just like, this is such a fucking great story. Do you know which member it was? Uh, I think he said Anthony. I don't know which one that is, though. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe okay. I made it up. Who knows? No, I assume new- that, that those Wiggles have all retired and it's all new. No, new so Wiggles. there's one of them that's been there the whole time, and I think it is Anthony. 
The blue one. Let's just Google which Wiggles went to. <laughs> See, and also, like, also the Wiggles play into this this podcast um, way from the scare and taking sides. He had a Wiggles story as well where one of the Wiggles really liked his band uh, and they were playing a show in Perth. What? And the, yeah, Murray, the Red Wiggle, really liked uh, the oh – no, not the scare, Wolf and Cub. The scare? No, no, oh, no yeah. Wolf, Wolf and Cub. And they were playing a show in Perth. And Murray turned up like leather jacket, black, you know, black jeans or whatever. But just to make sure people knew who he was, he had red Converse on. Amazing. Which, yeah, which I think is fucking fantastic. Branding is very important. Yes. Hey, I, I Googled it. It turns out it is Anthony. Yeah. Cheers, Anthony. Cheers, Anthony. He's the guy still holding <laughs> it down. Yeah. There we go. So are you going to throw a curveball and not pick a metal song or are you just going to go head first into a metal song? No, I'm picking um, Blind by Corn, oh. which is the first song on that record, and it has that fucking very, very thick ride bell part to start it.
say that record being the first that I bought like myself um, I can like recall my parents letting me put it on in the car and the last track on that record is called Daddy and it's this like super fucked up um, like dirgy metal song but the the vocals are all the the singer Jonathan Davis having a breakdown to get about getting like raped by his dad or something and then he just starts crying in the vocal booth Wow. Not something that you'd like, like, I think I was 13 <laughs> and this song's playing in the car and my like very, like mum might have reckoned she was cool and smoked weed and, you know, watched Led Zeppelin, but she was, she's totally uptight and she's like, what, what's going on in this song? And, you know, I'm like, oh, the, the singer's dad ranked him. <laughs> she's like, and he's, he's just, the shit off. he's just, you know, he's just venting. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't go didn't go well. But to her credit, I guess she didn't really take all my stuff and smash it. I guess she just uh, kept an eye on me, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, corn blind, and you know, if you, it's the first thing that anyone should learn how to play on drums. I reckon. Massive call, but like, yeah, let's go with it. I was yeah. also my my first act of musical snobbery was when they put out "Follow the Leader." Um, which had that song Got the Life, which was a huge hit. Yep. Um, and I remember going to the um, local record store in Northbridge. I can't believe there's a record store in Northbridge. Um, what, I do you what the stores? No, no idea. Just some, some little shithole that went out of business very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I bought Follow the Leader and I took it home and listened to it and I was like, what the fuck is this? this is not heavy anymore. What is this shit? And I would have been like 14 or something. And it's like, cool, man, you definitely know what you're talking about. And you're just shitting on this <laughs> giant piece of art that these people have put out. So anyway, spent whoops. millions of dollars to record. And uh, yeah, like I think it was like the hugest album of the year, yeah. uh, probably on the billboard charts or that kind of crap. Not that that means it's good, but no, that's um, true. it was just, it was just, yeah. 14 year old me like, Fuck this. <laughs> it's it's sorry, my life. Fuck this. Yeah, it started at an early age. It's awesome. Yeah, just being a dickhead. So that was good. Yeah, it's a it's a, that's a monster song. Like I don't deny that I ever listened to corn. But mm-hmm. uh, um yeah, I don't deny that I ever listened to corn, but like my my caveat is that it was very, very brief. Um but I, you know, no shame. Yeah, well, I, I think you, like, what year were you born? Eighty. 
83. Yeah, 83. So, like, I put it out there, anyone born between, you know, any middle-class white male born between 80, fuck, you know, 80 and 85, if you didn't listen to, if you say you didn't listen to Corn, I think you're a liar. If you listen to rock music and say you didn't listen to Corn or didn't get into Corn, I think you're a liar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's probably pretty true. Yeah, like, I think there were a lot of um. I mean, there was huge bloody um, the like the the old guard with inverted commas um who was so dead against what they were doing, and you know, corner fucking like those first two records are sick, but then they they absolutely put out some horrendous fucking garbage for a long, long time. You mean like, after that? Terrible. Oh yeah, like like a decade and a half worth of, of horse shit. But um, those first two records are pretty pretty good and, you know, did did a lot to change things, which I guess, yeah, the, the guys who were listening to Seventh, seventh Tier Thrash weren't all about. But anyway. Yeah, because cool. it is um, it's, yeah, it, it is a massive change of the, changing of the guard. Like oh, yeah. in that kind of, yeah, in, yeah, in metal, yeah. But oddly, oddly enough, uh, both Corn and Deftones managed to tour with like Black Sabbath right around the time they put out their first album. So I mean, someone definitely saw something in it. Yeah, yeah. Whether they liked it or not, they saw the, the viability of it and the mm. the bring the crossing over of new fans, the younger fans. They probably probably is a noted c word. Don't sue us. You kind of. I'm really surprised. Oh, not really surprised, but you said you like you got into a bit of punk, but then you yeah. kind of went really heavy in metal. But like when mm-hmm. I think of, and please don't take this as an insult because it's definitely not meant to be an insult. But when I think of really bad fruity pop punk, and who listens yeah. to it, like I just I think of you. Oh, that's relatively offensive. <laughs> like you, um, I definitely know what happened. Yeah, okay, go on. I um. I worked at a my first uh, my my job when I was at uni, like started at uni, was working at a liquor store, um, a Porter's Liquor. If anyone remembers that chain, um, and this lick this uh, Porter's had like a grocery store attached to it. Before you go on, sorry, are you were you living at home still? Yes, I was like I, 18, 18 in one day years old um and there was a very attractive girl who worked at porter's and all she listened to was socal punk stuff and so oh what do you listen to slow up <laughs> corn what do you listen to what do you listen to unwritten law and i was like mm, okay and um she gave me a couple of did you know who they were when she said it i don't recall i'd probably probably because i think they were they were already pretty massive um off the black album um and yeah so she gave me um unwritten law and uh real big fish i think um who are sick um real big fish and maybe like maybe like mad caddies or something or like one of the you know the classic um uh punkorama kind of things and then another mate at roughly the same time a guy who lived nearby his older brother was just into like more of the classic 90s um, stuff and was like, well, you obviously need to listen to Making Friends by Nose for a Name and so on and so forth. And I was like, oh, okay. 
this isn't this isn't fucking Blink One Eight Two, terrible cheese ball shit. This is, I don't know. Like, what's the what's the first song? Um, the where he says, "What's your name? Fuck you. That's my name." Like that. That's the Tony Sly sad chord progression stuff that uh, I guess twigged my I like sad heavy metal ear, and I was like, "Oh yeah," and it's heaps fast. Let's do it. Yeah. That's yeah. So take that. And whatever happened to the girl? You married her. She's she's watching Friday Night Lights in the other room. She absolutely That's- is not. But the girl who that I'm married to, who is watching Friday Night Lights, uh, is does like Blink One Eight Two, but hates Dude Ranch. She she really? says that they stopped being good. Well, she's from the Central Coast, and she says that uh, Cheshire Cat was the last good one. And Dude. Like, She's a total normie, but she has this like super crucial Blink One Eight Two opinion. It's very funny. That's that is super crucial. It's like, what are you what are you talking about? The weird demo. She's like, not Buddha, Cheshire Cat. And like, okay, sure, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Like they, yeah, okay, roll with it. Um, yeah, exactly. So, when did you swap over from bass to guitar? Um, at the same time as listening to fucking Real Big Fish, awesome. Yeah. Um, the so Boo and I were trying to jam. I was at uni and he was at um, afters, like a film and TV school thing, and we would cut class all the time and just go jam at his mum's. His mum is like a, uh, I think she was an art teacher at the time, it's like painting and sculpture and stuff. So she had a studio and we would just go and make an unholy racket in the studio um, and the guy who was supposed to play guitar would never fucking show up because it seemed most guitarists were more excited about smoking weed. Um, and so by default, I ended up playing guitar to try and, you know, make make better sounding noise, what we're doing in the garage. It's like, what a, what a drop D riffs we can learn. Um, more Than You Are by Grinspoon. Cool, that sounds... That sounds fucking stupid, just a bass and drums. All right, here's a terrible busted up guitar. Do we even know how to tune it? No, I get kind of sure. And then, you know, a five-watt screeching amp where you turn everything up to 10. And, uh, yeah, and that was it. So that was cool. That's awesome. That was that was the guitar. Yeah, by necessity. Yeah, which is, you know, how good things work. So when was your first, like, when was your first proper band? Uh, first proper band was Rex Banner. Was it really? Yes. Okay. Because so- there was me, well, like, I, you know, you hear of all these people who um, start a band with some guys they went to high school with and, like, it's the band that they still play in 10 years later and it was awesome and they toured yep. or they did records. But, like, no one, like, no one did that shit, I guess. Uh, no one was into it that we knew, basically. Yep. So we played for a bit and Boo was real getting into like helicopters and stuff like that. And I was like uh, still just into like, I don't know, Sunk Lodo and Deftones and Sepultura. So we kind of were veering in different ways. So stopped playing. I think he started playing with some other people. Um, ended up doing Guns Are For Kids with like dudes from Brace and Henry's Anger and stuff like that, which was more of an art art rock kind of thing. You'll probably bash me for calling it art rock. I don't know. <laughs> Indie kind of thing. And um I ended up, yeah, just 
skate punking my way into Rex Banner. That's unreal. So how did you meet the Rex Banner guys? I met Lucas at a Stronger Than Hate, <laughs> maybe Day's End show at the Marquee in Sydney. Yeah, right. So I'd say say probably Bombshell, the, the infamous Bombshell forum before it. So so Bombshell, well, for anyone who doesn't know, Bombshell Zine was a yeah. Uh, well, we, I have a few Canadian and American <laughs> listeners, so let me just let get it out there. It's it was an online website. Well, obviously it's an online website. It was an online zine where um it had a message board, and how, fuck, how would you how would you describe the um the scope it had without sounding wanky? Like it was it was pretty massive, and a lot of people from all around the country went on there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it was the, the uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was the thing. There wasn't Facebook for people to write each other off on. So and it, yeah, yeah, it was that. yeah, it was just it was a message board, and there was a whole bunch of other shit like interviews, and it's still active. That although Brad killed the um, message board, fuck, it would have been about ten years ago now. RIP. Yeah, actual RRP. <laughs> so you so you met you met a few guys from there and going to shows and that kind of thing. Yeah, because I had, um, oh, fuck, what was it? Let me think. Um, I think someone, in, I'd gone, sorry, let me back up. I'd gone snowboarding in Canada in like 2002 and a cousin had given me the first used records. Yes. And so I had like, like people going to start screaming, but my, <laughs> my uh, exposure to, Hardcore at that stage had been like toe to toe playing at one o'clock at home base. Yeah, on that yeah on that weird stage, really, really, really far away from everyone. Exactly, and like uh, Madball being on a drilling the vein Roadrunner video yep. comp, and Vision of Disorder being on that shit. And so, like, I don't think I knew that it was a different kind of subsect of music. And uh, yeah, when I was in Canada and got given that record, I was like, holy shit, this is fucking crazy. And then like looked up a few other bands out of the um the liner notes and I think I bought one alternative press that had like Raina Maria and From Autumn to Ashes. So that's like, you know, some weird plaintive emo thing and then terrible screamo. But I was like, ah, something's going on. Started checking it out and from there. And then I guess in Australia there was like, you know, when like After the Fall and Nelson Tilbrook and the reason <laughs> for kicking yes. along. There was there was that kind of grassroots thing happening as well, or like irrelevant, obviously, with the greatest DP of all time reflecting and refracting. Hands down, mate. Yeah, yeah. that's that's. But yeah. Okay, so what was the first show you went to? Like, were you getting to many shows as or like as underage? Because I like I'm going to say that um that strong like hey, show you would have been underage. No, none. I was at boarding school, so I couldn't go to shows. Um, and then. Yeah, I don't really remember. We definitely went to some really fucking, me and Boo went to some fucking stupid things in like North Sydney at North Point Tavern, like Louisville Sluggers. <laughs> like, like I guess like looking around for stuff but not knowing what we were looking for. Um, definitely went to like Blood Duster at Club 77 um, and we got really drunk and spent our time chasing rats in Hyde Park and then by the time we went into <laughs> the venue, that would be a little bit. 
but yeah, just, uh, you know, it was just very mainstream kind of stuff, you know, like very visible music, um, festivals and shows as opposed to the underground or local scene. I think once I figured out what resist was, I started going to like as many resist type shows as possible. If you saw resist on the fly, you're like, okay, this will be a good thing. Yeah, like I definitely dragged my neighbour to the Hope Conspiracy at Bar Broadway and he was just like, what the fuck is this shit? And I was like, yeah, this is this is fucking awesome. And, you know, however many... Was he saying that in a, was he saying that in a good way or like I think I need to leave on a way? No, I think he... Yeah, he was like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get this. <laughs> um, and I was very into it and still absolutely love that band. Um, and, you know, it was it proper school or something so like then the 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 like queensland mosh band would come through and it's like oh so that's what wishful wings are okay i don't know yeah funny funny that's it that's red hot all right well let's do you want to we can keep like you can keep talking about any kind of little moments you had or you can pick a song or we can kind of get deep into that I actually had a song lined up that actually fits perfectly with saying proper school, which was, so the song is Charlie Sheen versus Henry Rollins by Alexis on fire. And that first time they came to Australia or to Sydney and they played Manning bar, which had loads of great all age shows at the time. And, but the bill was like, I think prom queen were on it. So, okay. A metalcore band, then grand fatal were on it. So, hardcore thing then um taking sides were probably on it yes yes we were um we played third out of we played third and there were six bands on the bill don't make me try and guess the rest but maybe the scare were on it i don't know it was just like this insane um you know everyone playing type of thing like i, I didn't go to i didn't go to sound underground in canberra or whatever when four thousand bands played on one day but it was a much more curated version of that, I guess. And that was that was pretty eye-opening yeah. in that show. So it was Hot Liars. Did you say Hot Liars? Oh, the Hot Liars, yeah. of course. Sorry, so, Yeah, Kate. Hot Liars and who was the other? Hot Liars, so Hot Liars and Conquin did the whole Fable. tour. Like with okay. Alexis on Fire. And then I'm going to forget. There's one band I'm going to forget. But yeah, Grand Fatal Open, then someone, then Taking Sides. Would it have been Stockholm Syndrome? No, no. Hmm. But it was, I, I remember, yeah, it was a great band. I can't think who the fuck they were and I'm sure I could dig it up. But um, I tell, I've got one of my best friend's favourite bands, Alexis on Fire. He's got the um, Card, uh, is it the Young Cardinals? Is that an album? So he's got the, the, the Cardinal tattoo on his forearm and fucking loves the band. And I have so much, like, uh, deep down, I regret it, but I I have so much fun telling him that my band play with Luxus on fire at the Manning Bar, and and oh, I yeah. didn't watch a second of their set. I didn't give a fuck about them. Powerful, yeah. but, because yeah. yeah, what was it was kind of it was a bit too fruity for me. And oh, absolutely, I think a lot of people have yeah. that problem, and that band definitely. The first record is um, it's super super yeah. raw and. Um, definitely just screaming and fucking noodling and lots of finger tapping shit. And then it, um, they get like more like raw kind of punk as the disco goes okay. on and the songwriting just the roof. It's fucking 
It's pretty good, yes. man. So the other thing I kind of I say to him is like the guys in the band seem really, really clued into what the fuck is up. And like it would have been great to talk to him, not as like, oh, my God, you're in that band, but just like, hey, what should I, what else should I listen to that's out there, if that makes sense? Like, cause yeah. yeah, very but, true. You know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. So. So Charlie Sheen versus Henry Rollins. Do you know what this set? Do you know what the title is referenced to? Uh, no idea. I think they were just being no. So it's in a, there's a movie called The Chase, and and sure. it's a Charlie. I'm sure it's called The Chase, and it's a Charlie Sheen movie. And Charlie Sheen robs somewhere or does something illegal, and so Charlie Sheen's trying to make it to. I think he's trying to make it to Mexico. And Henry Rollins is the cop that's trying to that's chasing him in a car. So, so you know the obscure reference and hate the band. I don't know that. <laughs> oh, you know, no, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Oh, I, I want to say it's from. Um, I'll listen to it. The George George Pettit, George Petit. What's his this? Oh yeah, that's yeah. The scene, the, um, he he was on Turned Out a Punk, which is the Damien Abraham podcast. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they mentioned yeah. it in that. And I was like, I should go watch that movie. And it was a pretty average movie. It was typical, I guess, early 90s maybe. Really odd movie. But, um, yeah, I don't know why I know that reference. But, yeah. So. It works. Yeah. It works. I might cut. And guess what? Guess what? I just found out who the other band was on that show. Do tell. Near Theory. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But, that yeah, so they would have – they would have come up from Adelaide just to do that show because I'm almost positive they weren't touring it. Nice. All I remember from your theory is when they put out a seven inch on Boomtown, I think, and obviously it didn't go as well as uh, the label had thought. And so um, I got sent something from, by someone who'd worked there and they just used Mere Theory seven inches as padding. Wow. <laughs> I was like, fuck, that's cold, but yeah. That's expensive packaging. Yeah, yeah. Very expensive, pretty blue packaging. Thanks, guys. Okay. Charlie Sheen versus Henry Rollins. Looks is on fire. Let's fucking check it out. Okay. 
like it is a sick song. It's probably lost on me because it's because I'm in my. You're gonna have to say that now. No, you? well, I'm I'm gonna keep this part in, like and it's 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 lost on me. Yeah, it's lost, lost on me because I'm. Like I, I don't think I could go back and listen to the first album and be fucking stoked on it, but um. I don't think you should. Yeah, but like I get it. Like, and it's what's weird is like I really liked the first used album, and I'm sure this would have been around the same kind of era. And I and I listened yeah. to it and maybe maybe this came out of just a bit after, and so by the time this came out, I was like, oh, you know what? The used, it's a great yeah. album. Oh yeah, this this would be like two or three years after. Yeah, maybe. like. This is from a very strange EP where the, that band Moaning, um, you may or may not I know the name, name. That, that, uh, but that's it. And they they did that super cool thing where they, they both put a new song on, who cares, but then they get one of the other songs and they cover it. Okay. Um, and like Alexis have, I guess, a fair bit of diversity in what they can do sound-wise, so do Moaning, and they just like, they totally fuck each other's songs up. It's really interesting. In a good way, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, did so? Where does it? Where does this EP or split come in? The, um... I think this is just before the Crisis record, which was like the the big one for them. And that was the one they toured here on Crisis. If I remember correctly, that Manning Bar show was off the Watch Out record, and then they came back on Watch Out again, and then I don't know. It was probably like. I don't know, when did Soundwave start? Around that time? Yeah, it would have been. I feel like that's a couple of times. Sick. So mm-hmm. you mentioned just before we heard the song that um you were sent something from a label with um someone's seven inches as the padded protection, which is fucking amazing. Um like <laughs> are you, are you no, no, that no, fuck it's like oh, it's okay. it's like that's that's like the ultimate in like it's more beneficial to us if we just don't throw these out but we find a better use for them. Like I mean it's really rough, but like I mean, I'm sure plenty of plenty of people can sympathize with, you know, let's gross five hundred CDs. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Ah oh, fuck, we've got three hundred and ninety <laughs> CDs left. What are we gonna do with these? Yeah, there's uh everyone's getting everyone's getting for their birthday a, a copy of my latest album, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone's getting two actually, yeah. so they can give it to their mum as well. So, you you worked at Blunt for a while, which I'm which I'm guessing is where you got sent a package with two seven inches as a protection. <laughs> um, yeah, probably there was a, a long period of time I was there, so that would probably fit into it. So, Blunt Magazine was a national. What 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 was its official title? What would you what would what did it pitch itself as? Um, on the uh. Fuck! What's the name of the thing? Like a, the the ad the ad package. I don't know. I can't remember now yeah. what it's called. No, the media kit. That's it. On yep. the media kit, it was um, it was listed as Australia's number one alternative music bible. Okay. And I know Matt Reiki, the um, the the editor, kind of brought me in. Would be rolling his <laughs> eyes at that description, but um, yeah. It was it was the true punk. Everyone else was was making everyone shit. else is the corporate shill. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. I mean, but it was like it it was kind of like yeah, yeah, it was it was it was doing that, and then Kerrang popped up for a while. Um, 
in Australia and disappeared pretty fast. I mean, there were, there were plenty of mags before it, not that I am going to get the names right. Was it Esky? Juice? I don't know. Yeah. All that kind of shit. Anyway, yes, blunt. So how did you how did you swindle your way into that job? Um, so I must have met Matt going to shows, just getting pissed yep. as you do, and I went and saw um, uh, Lifetime. We're in the country had finally come out, and I was very much into Lifetime, and I went um, uh, with. Uh, dear friend Shane Collins, who's uh, not with us yes. anymore, um, and we we went to all these shows. And at the very first show, I um, <laughs> I attempted a headwalk, which was very that was went, very um that was the move at the time, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that was that's Dan Bombing's yes. fault basically. But um, uh, he attempted a headwalk and I landed, but my knee went the wrong way and um thought I'd broken my knee and had to go to hospital. And they were like, no, you've like torn your ACL and destroyed all the uh, cartilage and all this kind of shit. And so had to go to the, we were playing the Lifetime show the next day in Sydney. And so Shane like personally escorted me, <laughs> like my crippled self um, down the coast. Uh, but anyway, so that happened. Um, and I was very injured. And I think Matt just. So sorry, can I just ask a question? Did you do that, like, was it a pre-existing condition that your knees weren't fantastic or it was just one hell of a fuck-up? Um, I would say that when, I don't know, I was I was very into um, moshing like a total fucker, <laughs> uh, like, 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 bef- like in the years before that and would also, you know, drink heaps so I wasn't very careful um, and had definitely, like, you know, people used to, like, watching Poison the Well and you're fucking kicking and shit, like if your leg, like if you're a smaller person and your leg, when you're whipping it around, connects with a larger body. You just like, bounce off them. Uh, you, your, leg, your leg will stop and your rest of your body will kind of move a bit more. Like, So I'd probably kind of damage some stuff okay. low key. And then, yeah, I just, I just landed, um, I guess. And I was wasted as well, so it would work by me. Anyway, it, uh, it exploded and that was that. So you and Shane did the whole tour together? So, yes. Uh, we did the East Coast, yes. Yeah. So Rex Banner played the Sydney show down at Manning Bar and then we went down the corner um, the day after and he's picking me up and putting me <laughs> putting me in cabs and helping me on flights and all this shit. It was very funny. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, so for some reason Matt messaged me to say that the guy – at Blunt, who was the ad sales guy, was leaving because he was going to give his band a red-hot go, which, as anyone, I guess, who's played in a punk band in Australia probably thinks that's fucking insane because why would you yeah. <laughs> leave a very cushy <laughs> But so this this poor, crazy person um, threw it in and took his band Fish Fingers to go and tour or whatever they did. I don't think they were really heard from ever again. There was a band called Fish Fingers and they didn't make it. Is that what you're telling me? Um, not even just Fish Fingers. I think it was Fingers with an A and a Z. So, you know, dope. Uh, the dope shit. And so, yeah, and so I uh, slid right into that job. I recall going to a interview with my leg in a very hectic knee brace situation. Um, got that job. Uh, that was great. Um, you know, go to shows and shit all the time and 
write about music for and get paid for it, which is just ludicrous. And I guess why it doesn't really exist as a job anymore because it's <laughs> insane. Um, and then, yeah, Matt eventually left and he recommended that I become the editor. I did that for a few years. And that was similarly awesome and very much took the piss doing it. Um, as you know, a band had come to Australia and you just go to like four of the shows and you'd write a story about it and that excuses you not being at work. So that's fucking great. That's unreal. So I'd do that kind of shit. And at the same time was, you know, playing in a band that wasn't doing a whole lot, but sometimes those things linked up. That was great. Um, and I don't know where I was going. That's okay. That's okay. I'm fine with that. That was, did you have any experience being an editor? No. Did you learn on the, did you learn on the job or he just went, no, you'll do it. You'll be right. And just like, no, it was, I think I started selling the ad stuff, the ads. And that was, that's insanely boring. And he'd be like, Hey, do you like, I don't know, Dimmy Bagheer. We just got the new record. And I'd be like, cool. And I listened to it. He's like, yeah. And eventually he was just like, you know what, if I'm going to give it to you, you got to write a review. Um, and I was like, okay, sure. And so I started, I guess, contributing to the mag. And because I was already on payroll, it wouldn't affect the budget of the magazine. Yep. So it was probably cheaper for him to have me write than a freelancer. And so that just kind of escalated from there into writing, writing for the mag. Um, and, you know, because I was doing the ad stuff, I could have all these kind of stupid ideas like let's get a beer company to sponsor having um, goat whore and fireworks go bowling and, you know, we would do it. Because oh, hold on, who's fireworks? Fireworks are like a, a get-up kidsy emo band that came out here with Newfound Glory and did Soundwave a couple of times and then goat whore are a very blackened crusty death metal band uh and they these two went bowling. and you just made a <laughs> made a story yeah. about it or a, a piece. well yeah because you, you have pictures we have pictures of like a little guy with a anchor tattoo and a flat cap on uh, in a ben sherman shirt like drinking from a cosmo uh as well as a guy with like long lank hair and uh gauntlets and nine inch nails coming out of them and wearing a venom t-shirt and it just is fucking yeah. ridiculous so that is the content that's, you that's, for. that's what you get paid the big bucks for that's awesome so rex banner lasted four or five years uh not even i think we were we were jamming pretty hard out waiting for adam formerly of game over to come back to australia from i think he was in like israel or something and he came back and he sang for the band for like a year. And then um, Sutherland Shire's own Michael O'Connor was on the mic for maybe a year and a half. And we broke up. Last show was uh, <laughs> with, with Lungs and Lagwagon in the Metro. So that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. And that was in 2008. And then I joined Phantoms um, with a bunch of from Jack Napier in 2009. We did that till 2012, where I moved to London. Um, and then uh, started doing a punk band two years ago called Beer Wolf with Pete from the Hot Lies on the mic and uh, 
couple of uh, the local legends. So what I love about Beowulf, music aside, is that it's a bunch of guys or a bunch of, yeah, a bunch of guys who are my age, your age, who you've done it all and you've you've all tried really, really hard in your respective groups. Like Hot Lies were fucking huge. When they were fucking huge, they were fucking massive. Would you agree with that? Uh, I, from what I know, yes. I mean, they certainly did enough bloody film clips and I don't know. Pete, Pete talks about playing with AFI or Tugland or whoever it was and I'm like... Like, yeah, they had, a, they had a red-hot crack. And yeah. now it just it's great because it just seems like one of those bands where, like, you know, and I'm sure there's a bunch of them out there that just go, the whole making it is a young man or a young person's game. And so let's not try to make it. Let's just have fun. And if, and anything that comes from it is a bonus. Like, is that a good way to kind of sum up where Beer Wolf are at now? I mean, obviously with a name like Beer Wolf, you kind of pigeonhole yourself as it is. But, um, <laughs> yeah. It's honestly pretty hard to actually do anything because we go to Yates's house to like write or something and instead just end up playing Mario Kart and getting yeah. pissed. And just it's like variations on that just repeatedly happen. We used to jam across the road, oh, like it was above where FBI um, radio, where their station is in uh, in Redfern. We used to jam at Troy Moss above there and across the road. This, there's this shithole pub called The Abbots. It's like, and we would just keep going to the Abbots and like you book a three-hour ride. <laughs> we'd spend like two hours at the pub and it was like, hold on. Is this the best use of our time? Yes, yes of course obviously. it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, we did manage to do an album though, so that's all right. Yeah, and you got, you've got you got definitely got a bunch of cool supports. Yeah, the last show we played was with Unwritten Law, which is really funny because it was like a bloated whale, or so I'm told. I didn't actually see him. Um, and we got to play with fucking Pennywise on the Full Circle Tour, thereby bringing this podcast full circle. Thanks. Full Circle 20-year anniversary tour. It was fucking bananas. Yeah, with the Bronx as well. With Yeah. So I think the Bronx are good, like pretty good, but I know a lot of Australia think that they're the best thing since last year. They grade. are, but yeah. Um, Yates, okay, Yates, the other guitarist, like worships at the altar of the Bronx, like in his, in his very adult house, he has framed Bronx yep. prints up. Um, and I, I think he nearly died when we were asked to play the show two of his two favourite bands. Like it could only have been probably better for him if maybe Chris Conley from Saves the Day kind of introduced us or something. Yeah, did a, a stand-up set between bands. Exactly, exactly. So that was a, that was a pretty uh, pretty wild night. So besides your um, besides the the dad rock, the dad punk rock band where you go to you you go to the pub more than what you practice. Um, tell us about what else you do musically that's not that's got nothing to do with the band. Um, I'm trying to learn piano at the moment. How's that? <laughs> uh, What's more than that? Uh, I've just been listening to lots of um, uh, kind of like stupid shit like Flying Lotus and um, and then also older things like um, uh, Doobie Brothers and shit like that. And I was just like, well, I saw piano was sick. And I stopped playing it when I was like six. Um, this computer is pretty fast how does oh ableton's already on here how does this oh wait okay so i get a little okay sure that's that's 90 dollars all right i'll buy a 90 dollar keyboard oh this works like that okay 
sure. So yeah, I just uh, have been You're just teaching yourself via MIDI keyboard. Yeah, yeah, and because yeah. you know, with the the internet exists now, so as opposed to having to go to a music teacher that you hate when you're yeah. a six year old, you just Google like how do you, what are the chords to Senorita by Justin Timberlake, and and I'm like, oh, okay, this is pretty complex. I'm gonna try and recreate it in Ableton and see if I can. That's awesome. Well, if I spend a lot of time at home. <laughs> yeah, that, but you're allowed to. That's fantastic. So, okay, let's talk about your management, which I guess your management thing is your full-time. Yeah, that is that is my quote-unquote career. Yeah, sick. So how did it start? Like, tell us all about it. Um, so you were talking about terrible um, <clears throat> pop-punk stuff. So Heroes for Hire, straight out of Blacktown. Um when I was in Rex Banner, I think I was the guy that was like booking the van, ordering the merch, uh, just the boring shit yeah. no one wants to do. And um, one of the dudes from Heroes hit me up and he's like, we desperately need a manager. And I was like, okay. And he's like, can you manage us? I was like, no, that's fucking stupid. Just do it yourself. And, you know, he ran away. Uh, and he comes back like six months later and he's like, this is our new song, listen to it. What do you think? And I was like, wow, this is actually a really catchy little pop punk song. And he's like, do you want to be our manager? And I'm like, okay, sure. And, you know, no idea what it meant. And um, my friend Cam was working at Destroyer Lines at the time and he'd been booking Rex Banner and like Amity and A Secret Death and whatever. And so we both attempted to muddle our way through management. Um, You know, that band did some stuff but also – did some really stupid stuff that we hopefully learned from and um that's uh, kind of gone from there so the two of you are managing the band together yeah okay that means there's someone else to blame it's pretty good yeah you get to pass the buff that's cool <laughs> it's fun <laughs> yeah but yeah it went, it went from there and he um kind of got out of music had a family and got a real <laughs> a real job and i he's a lawyer isn't he he is like a big dick it operations guy oh okay right i don't know why the fuck um, i thought he was the lawyer but okay yeah cool it looks like one yeah. acts like one no i don't know uh yeah and um what was i saying so sorry i was at blunt and um the it was when atticus were doing stuff and so dan at atticus was giving heroes for hire stuff dan's boss knew some dude in thailand who had opened a studio and they wanted a band to come through to film a reality TV show or some shit about the band going to Thailand and recording. And they asked Heroes for Hire to do it, and I went with them. And um, the boss was like, I like the cut of your jib. You should move to London and run a management company under Atticus, which I was like, that sounds pretty funny. Let's do it. So I moved to London to do that, and that ended pretty quickly, but I'd already started working with Die Art as Murder and that was moving pretty fast. So I just stayed put in London and did my did it myself and like five or six years later, still doing it myself. So why did the Atticus thing end quickly? Like it was just poorly set up or they just they decided there was no money in it or? Uh, it was oh, just stop recording. Yeah, okay. Well, sorry, without throwing anyone under the bus, yeah. No, it's fine. It was just like I think the guy had unrealistic expectations of how quickly small bands start generating income. Right. Okay. That was, that was very diplomatic of me. It was very diplomatic. It was yeah. It was a really, it was yeah. It was 
well put. And that's true. Like, um, yeah, like overnight successes take four years, kind of, if that makes sense. Like, it, it's, yeah. yeah. You're, not, you're not selling millions of records or streams or whatever it is or getting paid $100,000 to headline a festival off an EP if you're playing guitar music. Yeah, an EP and a bit of hype doesn't, yeah. You're still not headlining Reading or whatever. Exactly. So then you brought it back home? Hmm. Yeah, I eventually came back home, um, going all the way back to the beginning. I'm an Irish citizen, so I can pre-Brexit stay in the UK as long as I want. Um, but I came back because of the now wife, and um, yeah, just kept kept chipping away at it. What's who are you who are you looking after? Heroes for Hire still a band? No, they disintegrated after a UK tour, which was pretty funny in its own right. Um, because of because of the UK tour? No, I think they they kind of had enough, and um, the singer had been forcibly removed, and they were doing them doing it as a four piece. Um, three of the four um, are now in Hellions, and they they had their other shit going on, and yeah, it just ended. Um, yeah, no money. It just it, you can't you can't operate yeah. on no money. Um, but yeah, at the moment, um, Luca Brasi, Tazzy. Tazzy Band, um, they're doing some stuff that will become readily apparent soon. Um, make Them Suffer, a, a metalcore band from Perth who just spend their entire time touring. Um, Aversion's Crown, a death metal band from Brisbane who also spend their whole time touring. Um, Endless Heights from Sydney um, who just put out a new record that's really awesome. That's on um, Cooking Vinyl. That is on Cooking yep. Vinyl indeed. Um, and that's been funny as well because they've been a band for 10 years even though they're all still young children um, and it's very interesting to see where they've come from and where they're going. Uh, there's those guys and then signing some new people at the moment in the process of um, Cursed Earth, working with those guys, um, Death Cult. Yeah. So what do you, this is going to sound really lame and I'm just going to ask it anyhow, but what are you, um, what are you looking for when you sign a band or when you take a band on your wing? Like are people approaching you or are you approaching people? Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bands sending like, you know, that really shitty term unsolicited demos. Um, yeah. Yeah. I learned that, I learned that term from, um, airheads. Oh, there you go. Yep. So there's a, there's a fair bit of that, but, like, that's fine. And, I mean, I can't remember who I heard say it once a long time ago. I think it's a dude who he might manage beach slang and under oath now, something like that, but he was like, it, it doesn't hurt you to reply to people. Like, not replying to emails is just shit house, you know? If someone takes the time to send you something. And even if, even if it's fucking awful, like, you can still reply and say, hi, yeah, no, not for me, best of luck or whatever. Um, but, uh, yes, I don't know, I get tipped off about things like, I don't know, someone working radio might hear something and go, this is pretty sick, you should check it out. Or uh, like a band recently um, signed, to a, signed to an American label and their manager's just gone AWOL. And so their label dude's like, hey, you should have a chat to these guys, they need some help, um, stuff like that. But I'm also looking to... Um, branch out, I guess, you know, doesn't all have to be um, metalcore bands or punk bands that I work with. But still, still music, like you're not going to start signing um, f- like 
like NBL players or AFL players or something. Oh, that I feel like that is um, you actually have to prepare for that shit. From what I can tell, actually, in Australia, sports sports managers and agents seem to be former players, which is possibly why they right. always make terrible <laughs> decisions. But like, there is there is like a hundred percent a school at uh, like Columbia in the US that is like a sports management school within their business faculty or whatever it is. Like, it's it's pretty big business, so. No, I'm not looking to do that just yet. Just steering clear of that, yeah. yeah. Just music for now. There's enough going. There's more than enough going on in music to um, keep me well and keep quiet. Again, like it's a fucking great story, and I'm yeah, I'm stoked to I'm stoked you got to tell it, and I'm stoked I got to talk to you about it, and yeah, that's sick. So, mate, thank you. Let's 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 drop the last song now. This could be like this could be fucking anything. So I've got no idea, like. Where you're gonna throw what you're gonna throw at me with this, but I'm keen and I'm, my my ears are open. What do you got? Uh, Show you the way by Thundercat. Okay. Have you ever heard it? No, but I have like a Thundercat a dance band. No, so thun- actually you're oh yes, this is fantastic. <laughs> Thundercat is he used to be the bass player in Suicidal Tendencies. Now he is a solo artist. He plays a six-string. Six-string bass. He is joined on stage, six-string bass. He's joined on stage by a drummer and a keyboard player. And he does these, like, soul, hip-hop, disco kind of tracks. Um, he was, like, big contributor on um, that Kendrick record to Pimp a Butterfly. Um, I think he's done a lot of session work with, like, Erica Badu. Um, and, yeah, this particular song... He's really awesome. Uh, I, I think I came across him on Spotify a few years ago. He's got this, uh, whatever the song's called, I've forgotten now, but this, this awesome one. And, <laughs> yeah, great, great description. It's got this great song. And uh, he and it reminded me of like old music that my mum would listen to, like Doobie Brothers and um, Steely Dan. And then this new record's come out and he knows shit has Michael McDonald from Steely Dan and Kenny Loggins from like Jesus. Highway to the Danger Zone doing vocals on this song and it's this awesome like yacht rock kind of very uh, like if it came out in the 80s it'd be one of those clips that has that kind of soft uh, yeah. soft filter on them real real cheesy shit but um, it just sounds awesome What's this, and what was the song called? Uh, show You The Way Thundercat we show you the way I'm I'm so keen. It's, and he used to play in Suicidals. Yep, he was a bass player in Suicidal Tendencies. That's fucking insane. That's fucking insane. Hey, thank you very much. Like, I really, really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate you spending the time. And I'm stoked I got to catch up with you. Um, as I said, I want to do it way earlier, but um, things happen. But, yeah, like, is there anything you want to say or plug or pimp out or just whatever before we wrap it up? Um, thank you for having me and listen to Smash Hits 06 by Jungle Fever. Also, where is Jigsy? Is Jigsy doing one of these? Um, I haven't, I haven't hit Jigsy up yet. I've hit up Gabe. Can you imagine Gabe's? Gabe's would be fucking insane. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be so much funk. It'd be insane. And there'd be, a, there'd be like Chromags and then funk. Can Gabe make the theme song to the podcast? Well, you, you don't like my current theme song? I'm he just can. suggesting maybe he's remixing it for a new year. 
yes, I, I'll I'll put it out there. I'll put it out there to him. I'll say you need to you need to lay more funk on this theme song, brother. So where can people find you on the socials? Um, and where and where can people send sweet demo tapes to? Uh, if you Google NMA management, there'll be a there'll be some shit you can email it to. It's easy. Um, uh, fuck, I don't know my name on Facebook, but Facebook sucks. And yep. Kerry King's guitar tone on Instagram because Kerry King's guitar tone is terrible. That's the best name. That's the fucking best Instagram name. Yep, just send me send me your shit. Send it send it over. Again, I really appreciate it, brother. Um, thank you, Thundercat. Show you the way. Hey. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cool.
feel your water bottle or hydrant, always make sure you have a friend who actually has water. Alright, didn't I tell you it was a great episode? If I didn't, I think it was a great episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for checking it out. Thanks for spending the time to, uh, <clears throat> you know, sit down and listen to a conversation about someone you may or may not know. Hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, yeah. If you don't already, you should listen to the following podcasts that I think you would really enjoy. Uh, the, of course, the High Fives podcast from Canada. The Just the Worst podcast, uh, two two lovely women from, I guess Northern California, is San Francisco ish Northern. They're just outside of San Francisco, so wherever that may be. Uh, obviously, Oblivious Maximus, which was mentioned in this episode, um, with Aaron, early uh, guest on the pod, and look, hands down, one of my favourite podcasts at the moment, which I'm hoping to have one of the members of said fantastic duo on the episode on an episode of my podcast uh blink 155 now yes it is a blink 182 podcast the reason it's called blink 155 is because there is 155 at the moment there's 155 blink 182 songs and every week they are talking about a new a different song and discussing it to two fine young gentlemen from canada uh this you know a blink song the longest blink song is like four and a half minutes they speak for about two hours on every single well so far on every single blink song by the time this gets released they're up to about episode 35 uh it's a commitment it's definitely a commitment um but it's uh one of the highlights of the week um so yeah i think you know even if you hate blink you or you know probably if you hate blink you probably wouldn't like it but if you ever stuck your big big or any any of your toes not necessarily big toe but any of your toes into the blink 182 pond uh you might get a small kick out of it or a big kick out of it which i do uh so that's that thank you to nicole thank you to cody for letting me take time apart away from them to do this um Again, it's a few hours. It's now a few hours every fortnight, and yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I guess that's it. Stay safe, stay awesome, and we'll see you with a new episode soon. Girl. Black Joe still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows, and everybody knows, and everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows that it's moving fast. Everybody knows that the naked man and woman are just a shining. Artifact of the past Everybody knows the sea
scene is dead But there's gonna be a meter on your bed That will disclose What everybody knows And everybody knows that you're in trouble Everybody knows what you've been through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary To the beach of Malibu Everybody knows it's coming upon Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody Everybody knows That's how it goes Oh, everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody